Amen. Amen. Um, today, um, for this time that we have together, I, I want to talk from the subject of how to have undivided affections for the Lord. Undivided. Somebody say undivided. Undivided, undivided affections. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your commitment to us. And your commitment to us demands that we commit to you. And so, God, today, I'm, I'm praying today that you would, you, would, you would reign in this place. You would reign that oil that makes preaching easy and that you would reign in such a way, God, that you would, you would challenge us uh, of, uh, of, of your deserving place in our lives, Lord God, and that we would shed anything that impedes upon our commitment to you, God. I pray that you would break every yoke, break every chain, and, and zoom lens us in on, 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 our, on the necessity of Christ in our life, Lord God. And I'm praying, Lord God, that you would bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, that they would be acceptable in your sight, that you would open up your, your people's heart and soften them towards your word and soften them towards your heart and soften them towards your plan and soften your people towards your love and commitment to us. We honor you and we bless you. Lord, help us to not just be hearers of the word, deceiving ourselves, but help us to be doers. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. I, I don't know if anybody in here has ever um, been in a relationship with someone who loves somebody else. You have been in a relationship and, and, you, and you wanted to be with this person and you're giving your all and all <laughs> to that person, but that person says they are in love with you and somebody else. Uh-oh, somebody said, uh-oh. And you're trying your best to get that person on the squad of having their affections undivided. And in those challenges, you, you, you feel it, it takes you into a self-worth issue and, and challenges because you feel, feel like that you're substandard because this person is not giving you all of what you believe the affections that you desire and that you deserve are. And, and one of the things about God, God is not a competing God. God doesn't like effectual competition. In, 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 in other words, God, in his, in his mind and in his universal space, listen, there, there is no competition and there is no one that should be sharing his platform. As a matter of fact, our commitment to him and our affections for him should trump everything in our life. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me say this. Affection here, I'm not meaning caressing and touching. I'm talking about desire for, zeal for, passion for. God demands us to have unending passion for him. As a matter of fact, when Jesus Christ was cleansing the temple uh, in, in the Gospels, and, and, and the Bible says that the d disciples said, and they remembered the verse where it says, the zeal of the Lord consumed him. And the reason why the zeal of the Lord consumed Jesus Christ is because Jesus Christ saw in God's house that there were divided affections amongst God's people. They, 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 they were more about money. They were more about resources. They were more about commerce than they were the creator. And because of that reality, God began through Jesus Christ to begin to take out his cat of nine whips and go off on everyone because he wanted God to get the glory that he deserved because God is the only one that's deserving of our passions. 
And so Paul even says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, he says, I betroth you to one husband, even Christ. He says, but I am afraid that like the, the serpent tempted Eve, that your affections would be drawn astray from the simplicity of devotion to Christ. In, 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 in other words, God wants a, a simplicity of devotion that, that the way he's the center of our life and we're not the center of our own lives. And so what Paul does here is he begins challenging these people in our series on it's time to grow up. Somebody say it's time to grow up. Yeah, yeah, it's time to grow up. He's, he's challenging them about their divided affections. They got a whole bunch of affections for a lot of things. And one of their main affections, their passions, the thing they have passions for is they have passion for themselves. In other words, they believe that God should orbit them, not them orbit God. Whenever your personal passions and desires trumps God, you're an idolater. In, in this passage, in the context, the Corinthians are, are, challenged, are being challenged by Paul because they're letting, they're, they're thinking what they are in is Christian liberties. Is what they're doing is they want to see how far they can go without getting punished by God. In, 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 other, in other words, they want to press the envelope of their passions and, 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 and have an unbiblical arrangement with how they relate to God, his word, and his people, and the world. And so Paul is challenging them as they're in these temples, in these topless temples um, that they're in, and they're eating meat sacrificed to idols, and brothers in the church and sisters in the church are confused because some of them believe that when you eat that meat in that temple that you're eating and worshiping that particular idol, which makes a, a, a believer have divided of passions, but Paul is saying to them, it's not just for the so-called weak person that I'm challenging you right now. I don't want you to underestimate your ability to transition from enjoyment to sin. And, 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 what he, and what he does in this passage is he lays out an, a, a redemptive historical anthology to challenge their pluralistic philosophy of life. See, we, we're, we're, a, we're an option-based society. You know, everything should exist together, and whatever you don't like, you delete or you block. You know, that, that's what we, we but, but, and so we approach, we approach God like our app store on our phone. Whatever we think we want on our phone that best serves us, we'll download it and use it for a little while. But, but if we don't like the way, if, if, if the program's too slow and if it doesn't do what we want it to do, we think we just hold it down and then we push the X button to delete it, to remove it so that we won't have to deal with it anymore. And many of us as believers think God is an app store, that he's some type of app that we can delete and download when we want him. And when he doesn't agree with us, we can, we, 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 when he agrees with us, we can enjoy him and play with him. But when he doesn't agree with us, we can delete him. And Paul is challenging the believers in Christ in here, which brings me to my first point. If you're going to have undivided affection for the living God, number one, you got to recognize that God deserves our undivided affections. I, I feel embarrassed that I have to say that. That, 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 that. that he deserves our undivided affections. Look at verse one. Paul says, for I want you to know. Stop right there. Now, 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 this is interesting because what he's helping the Corinthian believers to recognize is that the, the Corinthian believers are Gentile believers. <clears throat> and because they are Gentile believers, the, the only thing they have at this point is Tanakh or, or Old Testament, what they would call it, uh, uh, call it uh, a Torah 
Nabihim and Kathuvim. All they have is the law, prophets, and writings. They don't have a full New Testament yet. So the Old Testament was utilized by the New Testament church to help them to understand who Christ is, which he's in there, understand the gospel because he's in there, and the fact that all word is inspired by God and practical for doctrine and application in your life. So what he says is, I don't want you, some translations say, I don't want you to be ignorant, is what he's saying. In, 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 other, in other words, now what's funny is the Corinthians understand aspects of the Bible. But Paul is challenging not their knowledge of the Bible, but their application of it. In other words, you can know the Bible and still be ignorant. Okay, if you know about the Word of God, but not properly apply it and understand it in your life, you're ignorant. Because knowledge is not in inserting information. Knowledge, biblically, is never divorced from application. Never. Like, like in, in, in the mind of the Bible, knowing God's Word automatically within it is contoured with intimacy and transformation. So when he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, or, 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 or what he says here specifically here, because the word um, not know here <clears throat> means to be intimate. He said, I don't want you, uh, he said, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. This is beautiful. What, what Paul is saying is he's saying uh, you, you're included in on what God has done with God's people of all times. That's why he says our fathers. He doesn't say their fathers. So he doesn't separate the Jews from the church. He, he, he merges those who are believing Jews with the church. That's why he says our fathers, because it's based on a spiritual connection with God, not your natural birthright based on where you were born nationally. Okay? And so he says, he says, our, he says our fathers were under the cloud. Somebody say under the cloud. Now, now, what he's beginning to help them to understand, you got to recognize the cloud in numbers was what God used as one of the ways in which he directed them. It, it, when it was time for the people of God to move, if it was during the day, it was, they were led by a cloud, and at night they were led by fire. And what Paul is trying to help the people of God to recognize is that we are to have a life under the lordship of God. Why? Because the word didn't say they followed the cloud. It says they were under the cloud. Being under and behind and around the cloud doesn't mean you're under the cloud. Now, let's talk about what, the, what being under the cloud represents. Being under the cloud represents that you're submitted to God's movement. Y'all ain't going to talk back to me. The first service did the same thing. I'm passionate about it anyway. Um, the cloud, the, the, the cloud, you're supposed to be under the cloud. The cloud was what God used to tell them to stop. And, 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 and when he wanted, in other words, God said, when I move, you move just like that. And so what happened, and so what happened is God would begin cloud movement. And if they were asleep, if they were knocked out sleep in REM sleep, and the cloud started moving, they had to wake up, wipe the sleep out of their eyes, pack their bags, and move because God's movement and, and going forward is better than stopping and getting some rest. Because you don't get rest, you don't get comfort, you don't get peace without the living God. In other words, when you're not following the cloud of God in your life, nine times out of ten, you're wanting your own passion. You want God to follow you as the cloud versus you to follow him as the cloud. So, 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 so he, said, he said they were under the cloud. See, people don't like that terminology anymore, to be under anything, because we're a free agent society. 
we're a capitalistic society that this, this has free commerce. Everything in our life, you know, we, we, we worship freedom. But really, we worship bondage because freedom without Christ is bondage. So what we worship is having the freedom in our minds to choose to not do what God wants to do if it doesn't align with what I want to do. Y'all ain't going to talk back to me. It's okay. And so when he says they're under the cloud, he's pointing to their submission to him. But then he goes further because God deserves it, right? He says under the cloud and they pass through the sea. So it's pointing to two things. It's pointing to their deliverance, what pointed ultimately to Jesus Christ. When they passed through the Red Sea, it was a baptism. That's why he says they were baptized into Moses. What he's meaning by that is Moses being the typological representative that ultimately pointed to Jesus Christ finishing what Moses pointed to. So them going through the sea pointed to justification and renewal. Them going under the cloud represented them following the, 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 the work of the Spirit in their life. That's why when the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, it says, if you walk by the Spirit, there is no law. And so, and so, and so what he's trying to get them to recognize and understand is if, if, if we can get our affections in line, there's so many things in our life by the strength of God and by the strength and peace of His Spirit that would just fall into place. He goes further, he says, and all ate the same spiritual food. This is interesting. <clears throat> he says, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. <clears throat> now, 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 Paul is revealing a ton. He's doing a whole bunch. He's, he, I mean, in the Holy Ghost, he's showing off right now, Okay. <clears throat> what he shows us is justification and sanctification. <clears throat> justification, somebody say justification, because y'all looking at me funny. Justification is God's wrath passing over you because of Christ's finished work on the cross that there's no beef between you and God. Sanctification is when you're initially set aside to be used by God, but it's also the process by which he takes you from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. So right here, what he lays out for us is beautiful. He lays out to us regeneration, the, 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 the relationship with the guidance of the Spirit, but then he says they ate this and drank the same spiritual food. What is he pointing to? Spiritual growth. Now, they wouldn't have known that, but the reason why they didn't know it, because they were only concerned about what God provided, not the provider. Let, let me see if I can make it plain. Uh, 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 Paul is going to talk about, the, it, it, this points to the drink, the rock, and the food, all points to three occasions where God was trying to get God's people to see beyond the natural and see him. For instance, when they got thirsty, <laughs> when they got thirsty, my man Moses took a piece of wood and struck a rock and water came out. Now, now, did you hear that? How in the world does wood break a rock? It, when God does a miracle, he's not just trying to do a miracle to bless you, he's trying to show you something. When you have a wood striking a rock and water coming out of it, I don't know if I would just be thirsty. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, I mean if, you saw, if, you saw, if you saw me use a feather to hit this wall and water start gushing out of it, you know, even if you thirst, you'd be like, hold up. You know what I'm saying? Like, what just happened? God's trying to show them something. And instead of looking forward to Christ and Christ being the ultimate one who would be 
struck and put on a wood and him be the rock. And when he was broken as the rock, water flowed out of him that gives life to everyone. They, they, they couldn't see it because they were looking at the natural. Oh, you know, you think that didn't get you right there. Well, uh, they, God, God, and, and they got mad and started grumbling. God, you gave us something to drink, but you ain't give us nothing to eat. See how we do? See, when you worship yourself, you're never thankful. Let me keep moving. <coughs> God sends stuff that ain't nobody ever ate. Heavenly wafers that, that laid down on the ground, and they were to pick up off the ground, but the dirt wasn't going to be on it. And they were supposed to eat it and be nourished by it. God gave them that. They got mad at that. But Jesus says, I am the true manna that comes out of heaven. In, 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 other, in, other, in other words, in your, you and my life, the things that God does to take care of you is not to point you to him taking care of you. It's to point to him, point to him at all times in our life. And, 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 and some of the reasons why God restricts giving us certain things that we want is because many times in him giving us what we want, we'll forget about him who we need. That's why the old church used to sing, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. They, they, the, the old church sang that for me because we need him every day and every hour. I need thee. Listen, that's the posture of the Christian. I need you. That's why I like when Smokey Norman said, I need you now. So I like that because, because your, your, your life is supposed to be sensing the urgent need of needing him. The urgency, there should be an urgency of your desperation that if God isn't, that's why, that's why when, when, when God said, all right, I'm chucking the deuces to y'all, I'm going to go this way, y'all going into the promised land. And Moses said, listen, he said, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. Listen, you don't want to ever like the blessings above the blessor. And so that's why he pointed to the fact that Christ was ultimately the rock. That's what we need to recognize in our lives. He says, nevertheless, but most of them was not, God was not pleased with most of them. He said most of them, God, God wasn't even filling them, right? It says, for they over, because they were overthrown in the wilderness. In other words, <coughs> God is so great that he will give you a spanking. No, nah, he don't give spankings. See, spanking is different. A spanking is a tap. He gives whoopings. God loves you enough to whoop you back into his will. See, 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 see what God is doing in the life of the children of Israel during this, during this time, Paul is using them as an exemplification of something, of the challenge of, he, he said, God wasn't pleased with most of them because they were more blessed. They, they love his blessings versus him. Verse, I mean, uh, point two, undivided affections. For God brings sobriety in every area of your life. Undivided affections for God brings sobriety to every area of our lives. <clears throat> Verse 6, he says, now these things took place as examples for us. <laughs> he says that we might not do evil as they did. Now, now the word evil here, uh, I mean, uh, desire here, is the, is the word epithumeo, where we get our word lust from. And, 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 and that means to have a passion, in, in this context, it means to have a passion for someone, something, or someplace above the living God. 
And, and, so, and so when God is talking about they were written as our examples, it reminds me of growing up. You know, I, I used to watch the drug dealers in my neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? I mean, drug dealers in my neighborhood, they was wearing Kangos. You know what I'm saying? They had shell top Adidas with fat shoe strings. You know what I'm saying? I know I'm, I lost a bunch of y'all. You know, um, fat cables around their neck. You know, uh, one ring to go across the whole hand with their name and all that on it. Gold in their mouth. I mean, just everything. Uh, Gore-Tex sweatsuits. You know what I'm saying? Jordans, uh, uh, Jordache jeans, and Sergio Valentes and AJs. See, y'all don't know nothing about that. Um, you know, and, and they were fly. Dudes had nasty cars. They had Z28s and Pathfinders, you know what I'm saying, and Cressida's Toyota Cray. I don't know nothing about that. And then you put chrome on the side of it, and you put your name on it, and you just black out the window, just black tint on the window. Can't see nothing. Just the, just the window just blacked out. And, and, man, dudes would go on the basketball court, take off their jacket, have on their white beater and their sweatpants, and they would be wearing their sneakers, and they would take their beeper off. I know y'all don't know what a beeper is, but... <laughs> But, but they put their beeper on the ground, then they take out a knot of 20 Gs, cat cat cow, drop them on the ground, go hoop, nobody bother them. I was like, I want to be like them cats. Like, I want, this, I want the nice sweatsuit, I want the honeys, I want the gear, I want the G-Rod, I want the whole nine, right? Until, cats start getting shot up. And when they started getting shot up, I realized that they only had that for a little while. And, and they serve in it as an example that fast money means a short life. And, 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 and just as fast money means a short life, idolatry means a short life. Because let me tell you something. God wrote them as an example for what not to do. And so we're supposed to learn from the fact that, because uh, most of us think, well, if I was Israel back then, I wouldn't have, you'd have done the same thing. Everybody think they're the exception to the rule. You'd have been right with everybody else. But we glad that God allowed them to go through it. Serpents and stuff get them. So we ain't got to get, he, we, see, they got to get his beaten in a different way. I, I don't know if I want a beating for a snake to come up to the house and go, yeah, cow, give me and I go to sleep. You know what I'm saying? Like when you, when you was tripping on the cloud, lightning come out, rack, you just go out sleep. Now, the grace, like, grace is like a new day parent. It's like, you don't know what it was like when I was raised. You know, my parents would have did boom, 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 boom. The grace is like, you don't know what it was like under the law. Y'all don't want that. You know what I'm saying? That's why people say, say you know, I, I, it, it trips me out. The, one of my favorite statements with the hawk is, don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. God's the same way. And so Paul here helps us. To, he, said, he said, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not have a passion to desire evil as they did. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to help them to get beyond that. So what he begins to do is he helps us here in what he says to Paul. He says, do not be idolaters. What does idols mean? Uh, idol, idolatry means? It's a person who worships a deity or worships a deity through material or worship what God has created versus worshiping God himself. Worshiping what God created versus worshiping it itself. Now, this is powerful because Paul euphemistically is reflecting off of the Ten Commandments here, okay? You, 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 you'll see the Old Testament laced into New Testament teaching. And, and, and what's the first commandment? That you should worship the Lord your God and him only and have no other gods before him. Now, what's interesting about the first commandment, it is a prohibition on idolatry. And the reason why I don't believe those, th th that was put first for, 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 it's just thrown there by the Holy Spirit. I believe that the, that, that the prohibition 
on, on, on idolatry was put first for a very, very important reason. Because if we get that right through Christ, everything else in the Ten Commandments fall into place. <laughs> see, see, if, see if, you, if you worship the Lord and Him alone, you ain't got to worry about adultery. If you worship the Lord your God and Him alone, you ain't got to worry about stealing. If you worship the Lord your God and Him only, you don't have to worry about honoring your parents. If you worship the Lord your God and Him only, you don't have to uh, 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 um, um, worry about coveting. Because the Bible says, Jesus, the God asked Jesus, how do you fulfill the law? He says, to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second one is of the like, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Christ says, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. How? To show you what it looked like through my sacrificial life, sacrificial death of what it looked like to have unending affections for the living God. And I explain to you what he's like so that you can be like me. <laughs> that's, that's what he's trying to show us. God is trying to show us through Jesus Christ that idolatry doesn't work. Matter of fact, in our society, we're, we're so idolatrous. And I know many of us don't think, think of that. I like the way Spurgeon says it. Spurgeon says, whatever man depends upon, whatever rules his mind, whatever governs his affections, whatever is the chief object of his delight is his God. What's the chief object of your delight? What's the chief? What, what is the thing? Uh, Spurgeon even says, the first thing on your mind when you wake up is your God. Well, what, what, when you wake up in the mind, what's pressing on you? What's pressing on you? The first thing out of our mouth should be, Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. Now, what bill I got to pay and what I got to do? And all, Listen, listen. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all its righteousness and all of these things shall be added to you. It's not your greeds but your needs. Okay. And so, and, so, and so Paul lays this out for us. Many of us, what are our key idols? Self-love. You know, it's, our society is funny. You know, they got this self-help theology. Well, meology, not theology, but meology. If you just love yourself, and if, if, you learn, if we have to teach people how to love themselves, if you know how to love yourself, then everybody else will benefit for your love from them. Man, love of self is never satisfied. Yeah. Now, the only, pers only person that can love themselves and it benefits everybody else is God. God can love, God loves himself so much that his love for himself makes him extend his love to others. <laughs> and, so, and so loving ourselves doesn't change anything, lo loving the living God, the happiness. Some of us worship happiness. I ain't talking about happiness rooted in Christ. Some of us worship order. Uh-oh. Y'all got quiet on that one. Some of us worship control. Some of us worship unbiblical sexuality. Some of us worship our family. Some of us worship being right. See, some of you, see most of us think it was some statue that you bound on before. But there's statues that can form in your heart that's harder than any statue that you can form with your hands. And the, challenge, and the challenge of our walk with Christ is to identify all of these things. You got to ask yourself questions like this. This is how you get the idols out of your heart. You got to ask yourself, if blank is taken from me, 
would I be unreasonably angry? If something is taken from me, how angry does it, am I like a toddler when something's taken from them, when this thing is taken from me that's not the center of my life? And so Paul lays out, and he says in verse 8, he says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 20,000 fell in a single day. That's crazy. He says in verse 9, he said, we must not put Christ to the test. That's powerful. Putting Christ to the test is interesting because the Bible only talks about putting God to the test. So it's showing us for free that Jesus Christ is the deity. Of, he's, the, he's deity. Now, putting Christ to the test is this. Testing God is, willfully, is to willfully sin to see how far we can go without punishment. So this is the ultimate act of unbelief. The ultimate act of unbelief in our life is this reality of putting Christ to the test to see how far we can go. He says that some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. He said, verse 10, he said, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. He said, now these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction in whom the end of the ages have come. And so now we're seeing that, that God has given us responsibility to be his representatives in this current age. And in being his representatives in this current age, we are called to honor and reflect him through the power of God through Jesus Christ. And your life is going to be filled with fighting loving yourself. Your life is going to be filled, you and I, our life, it's never a done deal with this thing is fixed. It's not fixed until we go to glory. Our, our life is a movement of discipleship to more, more, more phenomenally uh, 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 pursue the glory of God through Jesus Christ. And, and so everything in our life fights against that. But what I love about this passage is there's great hope. It's, it, last point, he says, God draws us to himself when our affections for him have competition. God draws us to himself when our affections for him have competition. Look at the verse 12. He says, therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. He says, in other words, he says, don't have a life pattern of taking on what you think you can handle. Whatever you think you can handle is the very thing that's going to destroy you. In other words, many of us in our lifespan want to push the envelope of sin in our life. And God is saying, God is saying that there is no, you can't handle anything. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me see if I can make an example. Y'all looking at me funny. I remember back in the day when I was in the, on the dating scene, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 I, and, I, and I feel like, you know, if me and, me and a young lady didn't have intercourse, I thought I was good. I can do whatever else, and I could come as far and close to the edge as I could without, because I thought that I, I could handle, but many times I couldn't handle it because I gave myself more credit than I actually had power. The Bible says, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Because at the moment that you think you stand, which usually when you think you stand is without him, you fall because you're standing without him. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 13 says this very, very powerfully. It says, no temptation has taken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the place of, or the way of escape that you may endure it, may be able to endure it. Some translations like the King James will say, God won't put on you more than you can bear. Now, most of us, we hear songs, you know, that God won't put on you more than you can bear. 
I raise you, he will. This text is not talking about trials. It's talking about temptation that you and I put ourselves into. How do I know this? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, we were burdened beyond our own strength. More than we can bear, it can be translated. But the reason why we were placed in a hard situation beyond what we can bear so that we can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here is not talking about more than you can bear, and it's talking about the resilience of man. Here it's talking about the weakness of man and the fact that God has to intervene to call us back to himself because of his faithfulness. That means when you're trying to seek out a sin on your own and seek out idolatry, God will provide a, a detour for you to come out of that thing because he's loyal to himself to make sure that his people are driven towards a passion and an affection for him. That, that, that's the big thing about God. God is so faithful that even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our stupidity, because of mo most of us, including me, is just flat out dumb. And if it, if it wasn't for the goodness of God coming after us on the day when we were the dumbest of dumb. Now, I know some of y'all think y'all spiritually mature and you ain't dumb no more. You still dumb without Christ. God comes after stupid people, and I'm the stupidest among them all. And I'm in I'm, I'm daily trying to move away from God. I'm daily trying to live out my own passions. I'm daily challenged by my desire and sickness of my desire to not walk with him. But God being faithful is always coming after me, always drawing me in. Oh, he does that for every last one of us. I don't care how far you go. I don't care how far you go. He, God is like the God that's in taking. He like the God's in taking. He said, you're going to get taken, baby. But he came and got her. And that's the gospel. The gospel is God does not wait till you get it right to come get you. He gets you because you don't have it right. I was talking to a guy I've been sharing the gospel with for a while. And he says, Pastor, I'm, 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 I'm about to come to church because I'm almost got myself together. And I was like, I'd love to see that. <laughs> Listen, God, with, with the beauty of the gospel and God's, under, God's passion, he knows that we're prone to stray. And what God does is he's passionate about us being passionate for him. And so I pray today that wherever you are in your life, that you would, that you would be an idol smasher today. That you would, you would, you would say, I am going to, I want to be on a, on a trajectory of walking in the newness that only Christ can provide. I, I, I want to be the person, I want to walk, not, not I want to be the person God wants me to be. No, you are already the person that God wants you to be. You have to live in light of it because Christ has already accomplished it for you. All you're doing is unveiling through Christ the mess that closes off your ability to live out the reality of what he already purchased on the cross. And so that's God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness is, it's all his work, not our work. He's drawn us to himself, transformed us. I'm, I'm praying for you today. Many of you are wrestling right here. That's why you're so quiet. You're wrestling. You're wrestling. I know it's a little steamy because the air conditioner is acting up, but some of you are just wrestling because you are wrestling with the God of your heart. You're wrestling with your personal selfishness, and you know that the Holy Ghost is accosting you and challenging you that I want, God is not, look, God is not giving him, us more of himself. I know the song says, I need more, 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 more of you. I love the song. But it's really the reverse. 
you need more of me. Not I need more of you. Because God has given all of what he's going to give to us. That's why First, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, we have everything we need for life and godliness. God isn't giving us anything else. He's calling us to give up our everything else. And so today, I challenge you. I dare you to get sick and tired of loving anything above God. I, I, I dare you, I dare you to tell you no. I, I dare you today to begin saying, God, I, I'm in a place of frustration. And, and many of our frustrations is centered on something. I dare you today to, to nail your glory to the cross. I, I dare you today, woman, to not find yourself worth in what type of relationship you're in. I, I dare you. Educated person, I got five degrees. But I dare you to nail yourself value in your education to the cross. I dare you, to, I dare you today, I dare you today to take whatever is in your life that needs to be placed on the altar of Christ. I dare you to fight, and I dare you to just try the living God. <coughs> I dare you to taste him and see that he's really good. I, I, dare, you to, I dare you to just, I, I dare you to just say, God, I'm going to lay this down. Will you meet me and showing me how better it is to be passionate for you than passionate for me? Show, show, show me. I, I, I'm daring you. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, you're still on a trajectory of sanctification. And I'm praying for each and every one of us that we would get sick and tired of it. And that we would say, God, I'm giving myself wholeheartedly to you today. I don't want anything else in the way of my walk with you. I don't want anything in the way of my relationship with you today. 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 Today is important because it's the only day you have. And it's the only day you know of. It's the only one you know of. And he gave all of himself. How dare we give part of ourselves? How dare we give it up today and fight towards a trajectory because you're not fighting for victory, you're fighting from victory. How dare us believe, and I'm done, that we can have a mediocre relationship with Christ. He didn't die for carnality to be a part of your sanctification. He died for carnality to be put to death. How dare we think we could just hold on to anything tighter than him? How dare we? And I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to my need to die. I'm preaching to my selfishness. I'm preaching to my deeds of the flesh so I can push in. That's why I said if you draw near to him, he can't help it but draw near to you. It ain't you take two steps and he takes it. No, no, no. If you, you're already in. If you just draw, he said, I'm coming. And he can't despise something. He can't despise a broken and contrite heart. He's a sucker for a broken Christian. He's a sucker for a broken. And I'm just telling you today, the Bible says in Joel chapter 3, rip your hearts and not your garments. Today, rip your heart. Tear it. Don't, don't, just, don't just tear the outside of religiosity to show a worshipful sign to others of submission because God sees the real. 
reach into your soul, tear your heart today, and say, God, I'm willfully, I'm willfully allowing my selfishness and my need to be served and my need to be the center of my life. I submit it to you today. Every head bow, every eye closed. Every head bow and every eye closed. <coughs> if you're here today, maybe you got caught in this gathering. <laughs> Sometimes you get caught in church and like, what in the world I'm doing here? And maybe you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior. And you've never, ever come into a vital relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That means that you accepted the fact that the beef that God has with you was poured out on Christ so that you wouldn't spend eternity separated from him in hell. Because hell is God's wrath unveiled for those who don't know Jesus Christ. It's going to be darkness, gnashing of teeth, lake of fire, whole nine, unquenchable fire. When it says unquenchable fire, that means that there will be nothing that will make it feel better. Forever and ever and ever. But Jesus Christ, being rich in mercy, rich in love, said, I'll die for them, Father. And he lived a life that we could never live, and he got on the cross. And God poured his anger <laughs> towards the hell that we should have went to. He poured it out on Christ on the cross so that we wouldn't have to live under Christ, under the wrath of God forever. If you believe that God, in Christ died on the cross for your sins, for your sins, he's paying for them. The cost of your sin is death. That's what we deserve, eternal separation. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And he got up on the third day and was raised from the grave he was raised from the grave. If you trust by faith alone in Christ that he died for you, you're taken from spiritual death to spiritual life. And instead of spending eternity separated from God, you spend eternity with him.